Well, we're ready to do something this morning I've never done before. How many of you are ready to do something we've never done before? Thanks, buddy. So 30-some years of doing this, I've never done what I'm about to do. And no, it's not sitting in a chair. Uh, I've sat in chairs many times. I've never taught on, on really uh, from a scientific bent scripture, but it looks like for the next four or five weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, some pretty ancient truth that has become new scientific discovery. How many of you guys love it when... when when truth and fact meet together. It's, it's convenient for me. I like it when the Bible and science get along. I hate it when science and the Bible don't get along. I, I love science, by the way. I'm a science geek. Um, shows like Mythbusters, National Geographic, um, you know, the good ones, uh, Hallmark Channel, all those scientific things. <laughs> I love those. And my goal for today is really just to introduce you to the topic, not so much exhaust it. It's going to be, uh, we won't even, we'll just scratch the surface on many things, but I believe it's enough to get you thinking and get you heading in directions. Uh, some of the things that we have been taught by science have been relatively horribly, um, criminally wrong. Um, and I'll say the same thing for the church. The church has done some things that are pretty stupid through the years too. I don't think people are malicious. I just think they're dumb. I don't think I'm malicious. I just think I'm dumb, right? When I say something that hurts you or is wrong, I don't mean to hurt you. I don't mean to say things that are wrong. I just see something clearly, and it made perfect sense when you cut me off in traffic to tell you you're number one. <laughs> Felt right. Didn't mean to hurt you. I thought you needed to know that, you know, and I haven't done that in years or months at least, <laughs> years, years. Um, science and Christianity have not always gotten along, uh, but, but I, I would say especially when when science has made the play to be the new God. I think one of the worst things that you can do as a scientist is to begin from an ending and work your way backwards. Matter of fact, I would say this, that science at its worst concludes before it begins with the premise there is no God. That's bad science. Bad science says there, there is no, that's like me saying I'm a mathematician, but I don't believe in zero. I just won't use it in any math. I won't use it. To, to begin faith and to begin science with an open mind is imperative. If you come in with conclusions, you will find what you concluded. If, if I want money back on my taxes, I promise you, I can stop inputting numbers at a certain place where the numbers are green at the top of the TurboTax. But the problem is, I will be audited at some point, and at some point, if I am wrong in my calculations, there'll be a price to pay. The same thing's true when we, when we look for truth. This is not philosophy. This is not science. This is biblical fact and biblical truth. And so I want to take a look at today um, that, that issue for just a moment. How many of you guys give me like five minutes just to set a premise for this? Okay. So if you begin from a preferred ending, your bias can blind you to what's obvious in preference of what's absurd. And I think the best, the best way to kind of present the, the frailties uh, I don't mean to shake your faith. As a matter of fact, I'm about to upset some of you because I'm going to talk about creation versus evolution for a second. You're going to be mad at me because we've made this a religious topic. It is to believe one is so absurd to another's point of view and to believe what is absurd to one is, is, is to believe the other. It, we've made it a war. Instead of looking for information that leads to conclusion, we, we've based our premises and from our premises, we've become, these have become facts. Let me just talk about, a little about creation versus evolution. Let's start with, with this little guy here. This is the Mars rover Curiosity. And just for the sake of intellectual argument, being intellectually honest. Can we just be honest? We're in church on Sunday morning. Can we just be honest? This little guy lands on the planet. He's, he's only about this big. Uh, and, he, and he roves around and he looks for stuff. He has the ability to, like, laser beams shoot out 
and can like vaporize certain stuff so he can see what it's made out of. He can take soil samples. He can test temperature and wind and direction. It's really a neat little guy. But let's just say for the sake of intellectual argument that he goes around a rock and, you know, it's funny how telemetry, all those, you know, millions of miles away, it, it can connect and connect and it gives a command and tells it to go three feet forward. And as it does, it says, take a picture. And what it finds in front of it is a, a fully functioning set and baited mousetrap. So let's, let's, just, let's just ask for the sake of intellectual honesty, okay? If that happened, tomorrow morning's headlines, because NASA's publicly owned, they have 24 hours to report what they find. They can't keep this private. They're publicly, you know, they have, they have to disclose things. There's two possible headlines the next morning. The first one is this. Functional mousetrap spontaneously springs from lifeless matter over billions of years. Or scientists find evidence of intelligent life on Mars. Now, being honest... Which one do you think is more likely the right headline? The first one, obviously. If we find a simple mechanism, four pieces, a base, a spring, a hammer, and a scandalon, or a trigger, and let's make it five pieces. Let's put a piece of cheese on there, you know? But the cheese is from the moon. <laughs> to catch space rats. Then we, then we can kind of conclude, even though it's a five-piece mechanism, it, it, it could not have spontaneously erupted from lifeless matter over billions of years. True or false? And, thank you. It's simply true. Not even complex true. Matter of fact, we have to make it so complex to get to any other theory that has any other reasonability whatsoever. So complex, in fact, that most people can't ex understand it, except for those who have a bias towards that ending. So we start from the end. We can find a reason why this spontaneously erupted over billions of years out of lifeless matter. But if we don't start from that end, it would be logical to conclude that there must be somebody smart enough to build a mousetrap. And I don't know what, what like Mars mice looks like, but I don't want to see one, you know? And so we, we would say, so the most, the most complex, that's a five-piece mechanism, the most complex machine ever built by mankind in the history of man is a space shuttle. 250 million interrelated, interdependent, moving, non-moving, electrical, non-electrical, mechanical parts. 250 million. How many guys can imagine finding this thing on Mars and saying, well, space shuttle spontaneously arose from lifeless matter over billions of years? And yet, in every single one of your cells, we have something far more complex then the space shuttle, known as DNA. Not 250 million interrelated, interworking, intermechanized electronic devices that communicate with each other flawlessly to form one unified machine, but they have not 250 million, 750 million in each strand of DNA. Pretty complex. The odds of that happening spontaneously from lifeless matter over billions of years is, forgive me, I'm a scientist. I don't have enough faith to believe that. I'm a scientist. I want science to be right and to be true. I'm not coming from a biblical narrative. I, I'm not. Right now, I'm using logic, empirical evidence, data, et cetera, to arrive at the fact that I think that if we're not careful, if we begin with our ending, we can find whatever we want to see. But if we begin with an open mind, it's hard not to conclude intelligence in design. Now, you can't say that today. You'll lose your funding. You will. You'll lose your academic standing. You won't be published. Your peer review will tear you apart. I don't know why. I, I, I have no idea why there's such an agenda against religion. I just heard last night it was a documentary on Haiti, and they were talking about water levels that were rising in this lake in Haiti that displaced a bunch of people. It's a freshwater inland lake. They didn't know why it was rising. And one of the, <laughs> they were blaming it on voodoo, and I thought, well, that's good. Um, but it was a scientist that said, you know, when science fails to give proper answers, people tend to turn to religion. I just wanted to punch her. That, that's not true. 
In other words, she's saying when we don't have fact, all we have left is superstition. Drives me nuts. I, I think if we look honestly at data and at fact and what can be reproduced, what can happen in a test tube, I think it's very obvious that it does take faith to believe creation and it does take faith to believe evolution. But I would say this, I think it takes a lot less faith based on the data to believe that there's a creator who's intelligent than to believe that there's not a creator and it all happened by accident. I'll even give you the whole goo to you by way of the zoo if you want. You just have to answer one question. Where'd the goo come from? Where the lightning bolt, the water, the hydrochloric acid, where the carbon, where the oxygen, where did it all come from? It, it's, just, it's just an impossibility. Mathematicians will tell you the odds of it all happening, 750 million random things finding each other and forming one, not life, just one strand of DNA. It's, it's just not going to happen. How many times can you flip a quarter before it's head 750 million times in a row? And that's binary choice. That's one or the other. Now make it so random as every element, everywhere, all time. It's... It, we really are reaching for straws if we believe certain things. So I, I'm just, and I just upset some of you, didn't I? You're like, oh, man, I can't believe, you know, just stay out of science, Jim. You know, I'm not even call you Pastor Jim because I'm mad at you. I call you Jim, Jimmy. So what can science be? I think science at its best uh, is the pursuit of understanding what God has made. And I don't, if you don't want to start with the premise of God, at least don't blind your eyes to it. Don't blind your eyes to the intelligence and all design and all creation. So why are we talking about this? Why, why are you even talking about spaceships and space shuttles and, and stuff? And it's just to bring out a simple point. That is that science has recently discovered something uh, that God's people have known for thousands of years. It's something that, that really is, for me personally, groundbreaking and mind-blowing. It is literally mind-blowing. It's something that is, um, I think, going to function. There's certain things that I've observed that the Holy Spirit's given me that have worked through the years, and I've shared those with people, and those, those same things that worked for me have worked for them. I just have never had a good explanation as to why they're functional, why this is a way to attack this problem, why this is a way to get free, why this is a way to stay free. People say, what's your testimony? You know, you used to be a drug addict, an alcoholic, you're homeless. What, what happened to you? And, and it's nice to say, I met Jesus, but how many of you guys know that everybody has the same testimony? They met Jesus, and they never drank again. What do you do with a guy that's struggling with alcoholism? What do you do with a guy that's struggling with homosexuality? What do you do with a guy that's struggling with depression? What do you do with, like, what, how are these battles won? And, and I give them advice, and I give them counsel, and I give them scripture, and I give them prayer. But I've watched through the years how God has blessed certain things, but I couldn't explain to you why it worked until now, which is fascinating. And this is the thing that science has just recently discovered, that our mind and our brain are two different things. Our mind and our brain are two different things. According to Webster's Dictionary, um, uh, uh, oh, neuroplasticity. Everybody say the word with me. It's called? It's incredible. I like it when you say that. I feel like Mr. Rogers. According to Webster's, the brain is a physical organ of soft, nervous tissue. I always picture a, a seventh grader going to his first dance when I hear soft, nervous tissue. <laughs> a physical organ of soft, nervous tissue <laughs> located in the skull of vertebrates responsible for the conscious and unconscious functionality of the body. Now, there's going to be a test later on, and that, you have to have that working definition. That's the brain. But the mind, Webster defines as the element of a person that enables awareness. Now, the Bible for thousands of years has placed the mind not in the physical body, but in the soul. The mind, the will, the emotions, the heart, the memory, the soul. It contains that the heart, the soul, very hard to discern the difference between those two things. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We know that our heart can think. There's an inner part of us that's not physical that can, that can think. Um, science has placed the mind in the brain. And you say, well, why is that a big deal? This is why. Because science until recently has believed that the brain predetermines who we are. How many of you guys ever saw Young Frankenstein? 
and you're admitting it in church. God bless you all, right? Remember, remember the, normal, the, the normal brain that he's supposed to get, but he got Abby normal? It was the, yeah, somebody named Abby, Abby normal. Yeah, we believe that the brain, the physiology of the brain predetermined the person. You're born with certain dispositions, with certain vulnerabilities, certain eventualities, that in the DNA, in you, when you're born, in your brain physiology, that, that there is no way for that to be changed. You are the person you are. Your thoughts are chemicals. Your thoughts are proteins. Your thoughts are basal ganglia. Your, your thoughts are, are the breeze through the trees of the basal ganglia and all that sort of forth. And part of that is true. There's a physiology to the brain. But, but by placing the mind in the brain, as soon as the brain is damaged, so are you with no hope. So our physical brains determine our mind, and why is this important? Because, well, until recently, I believe the brain predetermined who we are. We are born then, if that's true, a slave to our biology, and whatever trauma comes our way to that biology. As it turns out, that's not true. As it turns out, since 1979, the neuroscience field was, was just rocked. And this goes back to the late 1800s through observations of rats and things. But people started to say, hey, peer-reviewed papers saying, hey, that seems to be true. We can change our physiology through the, the exercise of using our mind or what the Bible is going to speak to in just a moment. So we're now born as a slave. So if, if our brain tells us and predetermines who we are, then addiction is a disease. We hear that a lot today. Let me challenge that. Let me challenge that strongly as a former addict. You say, no, no, you shouldn't say that, Jim. You should say, hi, my name's Jim, and I'm an alcoholic. I have not said that for 30 years. I will not say that a day in my life. Hi, my name is Jim. I've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am not tempted by alcohol. I'm not predisposed towards that or predisposed towards that. I've been completely set free. What I was looking for at the bottom of the bottle, I found at the foot of a cross. And, and you can say, yeah, yeah, and that's good. I got that, but hear me. I... I I think the worst thing that science is going to reveal is the worst thing I can do as, as, a, as someone who has struggled with addiction is to say, hi, my name's Jim, and I am an alcoholic. I'm reinforcing physiology in my brain that runs contradictory. It's an argument that's raised itself up against the knowledge of God that needs to be torn down, not built up through repetition. But we didn't know that until just recently. So I'm not, listen, if you're a big AA guy, I'm a big AA guy. I'm all about the 12 steps, but I think we're going to have to change one of them. My name's Jim. I've been set free by the blood of Jesus, and I'm never going back by the grace of God. Amen. Um, oh, by the way, addiction is a disease. Let me just, uh, oops, sorry, press the wrong button. If, we're going to hear a lot of that, and the reason is because of the opioid crisis, the money in getting people off of opioids is profound. By removing the shame of addiction, by referring to it as a disease, I, I had the flu last week. I'm not ashamed I had the flu. It's just unfortunate that I did. It wasn't like because I made a choice. Because I was raised a certain, because my father once had the flu, I now have the flu. I, I, I touched a doorknob, I picked my nose, I got sick. It's, it's, it's biology. But when I was putting alcohol to my lips, it was an act of my free will. I was choosing, etc. okay? So the reason we're going to hear a lot about addiction as a disease is because there's a lot of money in rehab. The guy with the glasses and the, the little name card and the stethoscope around his neck saying, Addiction is a disease, and you're going to need help to get through it. Call this number. It's not going to let you move into his family room. He's going to charge you out the wazoo for the 21-day rehab program. And I'm, again, I'm not saying 21 rehab days are... I'm not saying any of this is wrong. I'm saying open your mind to the fact that when there's money, people put words. People advertise. So is addiction a disease? Yes or no? We'll get more into it in the, in the days to come. It's, it's a predisposition towards... It is not the removal of your free will. 
You still have a free will. You can still take a thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought can be obedient to Christ. We're getting into that in the weeks to come. And I, I trust that people are going to be set free from addictions and stay free for the rest of their lives. Amen. Um, if our brain, again, is in charge, then our brain physiology is set at adulthood and cannot be changed. This has been what's been taught and believed. If you have certain mental disorders, mental illness, mental disease, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, manic depression, there's been nothing for you other than to adjust the, the, the physiology of your brain, which, and again, has a lot of side effects, but now recent, everybody say recent, research is showing there's a way out of these without medicine. We can do microsurgery on our own brains by renewing our minds and being transformed by that renewing of the mind. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Like Romans chapter 12, right? Um, a child who doesn't attach to others by a certain age will lack the physiology to ever attach is what we've been taught. If the child doesn't learn to attach by a certain time, their brain will never, ever be able to excrete the certain chemicals and hormones that allows it to attach. Recent studies have shown that not to be true. I'm so glad that's not true. We're going to talk about in weeks to come something called continuity of narrative, where God redeems not just the whole person, but their entire story. Um, without asking permission, I'll just say plainly, my wife had a hellish childhood. Explain how being a victim for you know, well over a dozen years in her own home, explain how Dina Wiegand became Dina Wiegand that we know today. The answer is she was transformed by the renewing of her mind. God redeemed her whole story. Not just forgot about it. If, if, if where was God when and why did that happen and why did they do that to me and I'll never trust again can become part of a story that God redeems, then you have the redemption of the entire story. How many of you guys know we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony? There, there's power in this stuff. Are you guys getting this? I'm getting this. Are you getting this? I've got this. Okay. And, and then this last one, PTSD is permanent. If you were raped, if you're a combat veteran, if you were in a terrible car accident or someone you love was killed in front of you, there's no way to ever stop seeing that. There's no way to reconcile that with a new reality that includes that. That's not true at all. There is a way out of post-traumatic stress syndrome. And we're proving it again and again and again. So um, why is this important? This is why. Because when Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it is talking about a literal physical transformation led by what we think and believe. You can change the physiology of your brain. Remember this in weeks to come. You can change the literal proteins that form basal ganglia that become like trees to absorb the, the, the stimuli that come through and activate certain parts of your brain. Do you know that some people see the same thing you see and they're happy about it and it terrifies you? Why is that? Something happened. You became sensitized. Proteins came together. It was, uh, was created in some sort of an automatic way, so it became a reflex. We can actually reprogram or program reflexes. To this day, if you walk up behind me, it just happened the other day, I was walking through a store and somebody dropped something. I reached to my right hip. Anybody know why I reached my right hip? I reached for my gun that hasn't been there for 30 some years. I, I don't carry a gun here anymore, I carry it here. <sighs> To this day, you startle me, I'll go for a 45 that hasn't been on my hip since 1985. Why? Because a reflex was formed. We can literally become um, autonomized. In other words, it's, it's automatic and part of our anatomy that we begin to react as Christ would react in every situation. Why are Paul and Silas worshiping in prison in the middle of the night after being beaten to death? Because they thought differently than we do. And they thought differently because of experience. They created physical stimuli. They created protein chains. They created basal ganglia. They created, so that when something hard came, they said, I thank God I get to suffer for the name of Jesus rather than where was God when I'm hurting. You see the difference? You still here? 
So when Romans 12, 2 says being transformed, it's talking about a literal transformation. The word there is metamorphos. We got our, our word metamorphosis from it. So it's a, it's a physical thing. We can literally be changed physically from a worm to a butterfly. We can change in function. We can change in physique. We can change in so many ways. If we get this lined up with that, this has to follow. I am always heading in the direction of my strongest thoughts. Always. So this is why Paul says things like, whatsoever things are true, noble, excellent, praiseworthy, if there's any virtue, any, like, think about these things. Why does he want us thinking about good things in a world that's soaked in sin? Because it's the good things that make us good things. It changes who we are. This is why 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And it's speaking of a literal process that changes the physical brain. There is a part in our brain that can take a thought and hold it out as if you're a third person observing yourself and analyze it from other parts of who you are and choose whether or not that's true anymore for you. We can literally take every thought captive and we can say, until you are obedient to Jesus, I'm going to hold you captive. We can literally, through means I won't get into right now, tear down the physical structures in the brain that are, that are negative and rebuild physical structures that look more like Jesus' brain than the devil's brain. This is why Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 through 20 says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, Choose. Everybody say choose. The devil didn't make you do it. Choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. It's more than a nice thought. It's literally life and death. 75%, research is now saying, 75% to 98% of all disease and sickness begins, has its genesis in our brain, in our thoughts. Isn't that crazy? See, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't either. Scientists said it, so I'm going to doubt it for a minute. <laughs> but I had an interesting thing happen this last week. I won't, I won't get into specifics because I haven't talked to my wife about sharing it. I got a letter. When did I get the letter, babe? Was it Monday or Tuesday I got that letter? Tuesday. Tuesday I got a letter that, that, that drove me into the ground. Um, dreams, future, goals, all this kind of stuff. And, and by the, nothing to do with you, everything to do with me. Um, just, just pile drove me. I mean, it was, it was I, I got it. I was alone for a couple hours after I got it. And you ever just been stunned? You're just shocked? You're just like, you just heard like somebody you love died or something, that feeling of it's, it can't be real. Am I dreaming? Am I, you know what I mean? That was Tuesday morning, afternoon. By Friday, healthy, just been to Florida. Everybody's happy. My grandson just came to my house. My grandson, by the way, is the happiest thing on planet Earth. I'm playing with him. He's hugging me. We're loving. And all of a sudden, I get hit by a ton of bricks with the flu. My fever spikes. I'm horizontal. My wife just says, you need to go to bed. I go to bed. I don't get out of bed for two days. I literally, I, I looked at my number of steps. It's like zero. It's like, can't you even count me going to the bathroom? Is there no justice? You know what I mean? While I'm sleeping. Now, everybody get this one. The reason I'm sitting down right now, because while I'm sleeping, I throw my back out. While I'm sleeping. I didn't pick up something heavy. I didn't rescue a, a toddler from a tree. I fell asleep and woke up having thrown my back out. And you're laughing. The mean ones are laughing. <laughs> Coincidence, maybe. But I don't think it is. 
I think when certain things happen in our, in our heads and our hearts and we, we find ourselves not able to take thoughts captive, it makes us vulnerable to other things, I think. And if this week's an example of that, then so be it. Um, Boy, I, I, I think we got so much to learn here. I heard somebody say the other day, I, I don't have bad days anymore. He said, I have bad hours. But within an hour, I take that thought captive and I make it obedient to Christ. I tear down anything that found that thought and attached it to things in my past. I tear that down too. Um, so in the next few weeks to come, we're going to see um, new purpose and power in things we've known about, like reading our Bibles. If we thought reading our Bibles was like eating Brussels sprouts, it's good for you, although most people don't like to do it. We're really missing something. It is the truth. And Jesus says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. It's the breath of God. It's the theonousos. All scriptures God breathes, 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, we're going to find new purpose in meditating on God's promises. And you might not like the word meditating because the new age and, and so forth has kind of taken that one from us. It, I'm sorry, it belongs to God. Meditating doesn't mean sitting cross-legged, burning incense, and going yama, 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 yama. You know what I mean? Yama, yama, the meditating llama. You know what I mean? It's not. It's... It, it means to think deeply on, on a thought. As I've been exercising, um, just, just taking one truth. We said for years around here, and I, this is one of the pieces of advice I've given people, though I couldn't prove to you why it was true, I just knew that it was. Instead of reading the Bible through in a year, which is great, read the Bible through in a year, but it's fitting into a part of you that, that you can't necessarily access as well for the purposes of your soul. So what I've said is read until God speaks to you, and then stop. And as you stop on that one, just let it, let it get into you. For God so loves, let's just take John 3.16. For God so loves, so loves. For God so loves the world. I'm part of the world. For God so loves me. Father God loves me so much that the thought of forever without me was unthinkable and he sent Jesus as a, sac a sacrifice for my sins. So that if I just believe in him, if I could just get to the place where what he says, what he's done is more powerful than what I've done. I wouldn't perish. I'd have life that lasts forever, starting here and now. Do you see what, you know it's more powerful than for God's love the world, God has sent us into the world, but to redeem the world through it? Instead of reading through it, you stop. We, we are proving now through medical science. Carolyn Leaf, uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, is doing a beautiful study. Seven minutes a day of finding the thought that doesn't look like Jesus, replacing it with Scripture. Seven minutes a day, 21 day cycle, done three times. It becomes automatic. What was there, God doesn't love me, I'm not saved, I think I'm going to hell, is torn down and what God has said is built up, literally in the physiology of your brain. Are you seeing this? So I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think this sounds like New Age, like, be baloney. I almost said the other one, be baloney. Yes. Let me, let me give you an example. How, how old were you guys when you started to ride a bike? Somebody shout out how, your age, how old? 24, that's weird, who said that? four or five. When you got on the bike, you felt really shaky, right? You didn't know how to do it. So the, 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 in the back of your brain, your long-term memory, that which is automatic, it's, it's, there's a blank slate. Everything in the front of your brain is, and you're, you're, and you're wiggly, and you're jiggly, and, you're, and you fall over, and you get back up, and you fall over. Don't lean so far that. Don't lean so far forward. You got to pedal faster. Get on a hill. Dad, let's go with the thing, and all of a sudden, you're riding. Well, let, let's say you, 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 for 21 days, you try to learn how to ride a bike. Four or five years old, how many of you guys have it in three weeks? Okay, but what if you came back the next three weeks, you rode your bike every day, seven minutes. You got on the bike, you rode it. Are you riding better or worse? You're going to do it again for another three weeks. Are you riding better or worse? Not only are you riding better, you're riding in a part of your brain now that's not thinking about what you're doing because that bike has become an extension of your body. 
You know, it's just like riding a bike. Once you learn, you, you never forget. That's the part of you that I'm talking about. If you looked at that bike and said, I can't ride it. Bikes are scary. People that ride bikes are scary. I tried to ride a bike once and I got hurt. I have a scar on my leg from a bike that I rode. I knew a friend. He had a bike and he died. I don't want to ride a bike anymore. I just, I don't have it in me. Then you can build up that that bike is impossible. It's a barrier. Bad people ride them. Bad things happen if I were to ride them. I know it's a bike. It's not the demon of Schwinn. It's, it's believing something that isn't true. But if you were to start to ride that bike, and let's say someone actually helped you for seven minutes a day, they held on to the sissy bar of the Schwinn with a three-speed shifter and the, the ape hanger handlebars of the tag. Can I get a witness? I just had one of those. The big, long, blue banana seat. Come on. You kids nowadays, you newfangled bikes, you don't know how hard it was. And then the next three weeks, you did it. And the next three weeks, you did it again. Before long, you're not even thinking about riding a bike. And to this day, none of us have to think about riding a bike because it's stored in a part of our physiology that remembers how to ride one. What if instead of riding bikes, we reprogrammed parts of our brain that dealt with life and hope and faith, addiction, depression? You're going to learn that prayer has a, a higher purpose than just well wishes before a holy God who may or may not hear us. God does not need us to pray to know what's going on in our lives. So why has he asked us to pray without ceasing? We'll get into that. Worship. (laughs) Do you know what your brain is doing when you worship? I cannot tell you today, but I cannot wait to tell you. Fellowship. Being around a bunch of fellas in the same ship, drowning worms and eating pizza and laughing. You You know what's happening in your physiology? you're allowing yourself to be loved in community and you're you're welcome to love in community we're going to walk through the physiological process of things like repentance and why raising our hand and saying a prayer why standing up walking to an altar why being baptized in water why every step physical step we take that confirms the, the internal thing that we've done makes that decision more and more solid by telling people about what just happened to us sharing your testimony puts it in a different part of our physiology. It's not something I, it's not a movie we saw. It's a life-changing experience that's led its, its way and led me in its way. Um, talking, or taking rather, thoughts captive. We're going to talk about the physiological process of examining a thought, applying knowledge to it, and deciding whether or not it's true, and what happens to thoughts that we decide aren't true, and how we replace those thoughts with other thoughts, physiological. Demolishing arguments. Paul says we demolish every argument. Those arguments are not arguing with the Pharisees and the scribes. He's talking about what we believe inside. He says God's weapons are divine to pull down strongholds. The divine weapon of the Word of God pulls down strongholds that aren't divine. It's the power of God fighting the power of your flesh. Who do you think is going to win? You just got to choose what side you're on. Right? Breaking generational curses. How are we going to break generational curses? Right? Breaking patterns of failure. Every time I get here, I fall. Every time I get here, I fall. Every time I get here, I fall. And then this last one, the continuity of narrative. That God works all things together for the good of those who love him. We're called according to his purposes. If you came in here today hopeless, you came in here lost, you came in here afraid, if you came in here knowing that the potential that you have in your life is a long ways from being met, um, man, do I relate to everything you just said. But here, here's my hope. My hope is not in the scientific breakthroughs. 
my hope literally is in the fact that God has written this beautiful manual that addresses my body, my soul, and my spirit. And though this has been hidden from our eyes for a long time, we thought we knew what we knew, and now we're realizing we didn't. I don't know if you heard or not, the earth is not flat. I'm grateful we discovered that. It makes traveling to Australia a lot more fun. I don't know if you heard this or not, but you're not a slave to your physiology. You can actually do microsurgery by addressing certain issues in your life with the Word of God in certain ways. You can tear down protein structures that once said this is fact. You can tear those things down and build things that are true. You can look at your life through a very different lens, not as a victim, literally as a victor. I hate to go Joel Osteen on you, but I'm telling you it's true. You are not a victim. Nobody in this room, no in this room. I'm not saying you were victimized. I'm saying you were traumatized. I'm not saying life hasn't been hard. I'm not saying that. Please hear me. I, no, I'm serious. What I am saying is this. We can find a way so that doesn't end our story, but is a beautiful part of the redemption story of Christ. You can be free. There is hope. God does win. God is right. There's a metamorphosis. There's a transformation whether anything in our mind is available for us. Man, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, guys. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Those of us who believe these things through the years, not knowing why we believe them, just observing their effectiveness, I, I just say to you, isn't this cool? Isn't it nice when science goes, hey, you know Job says the earth is round? It really is. Isn't it nice when Leviticus almost, what, 5,000 years ago says life is contained in the blood? Science 100 years ago says, hey, guess what? Guess where life is? It's in the blood. Isn't it, isn't it nice when we've been talking about this part of us that they can be transformed by, by changing this, we change this. We can be transformed. Science says, no, you can't. Whatever biology gave you, whatever traumas happened to that biology is who you are. No, you're not. I'm telling you, people that work in prisons and people that work in rehabs and people that work in jails and people that have wayward kids and people that are struggling in your own life, I am telling you, based on the word of God and science, there's a whole new life for you to live. Now, we're going to need the Holy Spirit to lead us through this. This isn't one size fits all. But as the Holy Spirit's been pointing out areas in my life, I've been, I've been addressing them. And I've been tearing down physiology in my brain. And I'm watching new physiology being built. And uh, I'm seeing the effectiveness in my own life. You guys okay? Why don't you stand to your feet? I'm going to sit here. Would you guys stand up if you wouldn't mind? <sighs> Jesus. Close your eyes. Come on. Jesus. You're so smart. You're so wise. You're so good. I, I find this weird. I want to be very careful. Church, hear me. I want to be very careful. God, I'm not going to turn my face away from you to look at science to find out what's real. I'm going to turn my face away from you and look at meditation and yoga poses and, you know, I, I'm not. But I pray that through discernment, I pray that through wisdom, I pray that through just simple childlike faith in your word, if we never understood why it worked, it didn't matter. We understood that you're the one that works it. For some reason, when I do understand how it works and why it works, it, it draws me in a deeper level. So I pray that in the weeks to come, you'll break every curse. I pray to demolish every argument. I pray that you, that you would give us the truth with which we can take captive every thought until it obeys Christ. I pray that you would rewire through microsurgery, God, these 
these beautiful organs that you've given us called brains. My mind changes my physiology. My physiology does not tell my mind what to believe. God, I pray that today you would lead us. Here's the deal, guys. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Talked a lot about science. I'm going to take a sharp right turn. Put science aside for a second and think about this. For God so loved you. God loves you so much that Jesus was not the founder of a religion. He's the Son of God sent to save the world because he loves you. And some might say, well, why does he love me? I'm sorry, this is the best answer I have. It's because he loves you. Why? Because he loves you. But why? Because he loves you. But why me? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He chose you. He knew you. And he chose you. He saw everything he'd ever do, right, wrong, or indifferent. He died for those things that would separate you from him. He jumped on a grenade to save his buddies, just like just like you would if you loved your buddies in the army. He stood between you and the punishment that was coming your way, just like maybe an older sibling did for you one day. He took the blame for something they didn't do because they were trying to protect you. The only explanation for what Jesus did is the great love Jesus has for you. Once you accept that, really, Christianity is fairly easy. To reject that because what you see in yourself isn't lovely, isn't lovable, isn't worthy, then what you're saying in essence is that what you've done is more powerful than what he's done for you. Really? You think you're more powerful than God? You think that's a good place to end the conversation? I don't. So here, now, you could be honest with them and say, I'm not right with you, but I believe that it's your will that I be right with you. Now there's a gift for you to receive. It's not, it's not something you earn. It's a gift you receive. I don't mean to embarrass the parent that has the crying child, but let me tell you something. That parent would do anything for that child. Anything. They don't have to pray about it. That child needs a kidney. There's, there's no prayer. They get on a table. They cut their body open. They pull out a kidney with a dull spoon if they have to, and they save their child's life. There's no pain they wouldn't endure to save their child. Listen to me. There's no pain Jesus went endure to save your life. He died once for all. And now his life is available to you. If you want Jesus today, just tell him. Say, Jim, I don't know how to pray. I I found this through the years that where I lack in my abilities to pray, he more than compensates for his ability to hear what I meant to say. So I don't know what to say. You think that that kid's saying something right back there? You think they think that child is pronouncing the words properly and expressing its needs perfectly? No, it's just crying. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who cries out, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To tell him, God, I need you. I do. I forsake every other avenue that was leading me and towards the peace that I was searching for. I found it in you, and I'm done looking. I prefer you. I choose you. I want you. I accept you as my Savior and now as my Lord. So teach me. Teach me, teach me, teach me, I pray. And lead me in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Altar workers are coming forward. They're going to pray for you. If you need anything, physical, emotional, spiritual, I'd love to pray for you. Altar workers, come on down. Um, I'm going to not go to the back doors today. Remember, my wife invited you guys to come back to the, uh, the guest room. If you're new to the church, want to get plugged in, know more about it, go back there. God bless you. Live long, prosper. We'll see you next week. See you next week. You guys ready for more? All right, good. All right, we'll see you soon.